Welcome to Semantics. Where we have more fun with words than you can shake a stick at. I'm Kelly. And I'm Jeff. And we're so glad you're here. Well, how are you today, Jeff? Well, I'm just fine, Kelly. It's good to be home. It is good to be home. We just returned from a snowshoe trip. I know. It was so fun. Uh, and the mountain was covered, but the temperatures were a little warm for our taste. But it was good to be in snowshoe. It was. Uh, so. Do you have any guesses? Well, we talked about what our topics were, but we do not share any additional information. We just choose a topic and we don't tell the other one what we're going to be talking about. Um, I'm so glad that you've shared that format. That's true. It's kind of fun. It's a little bit of a mystery. And um, I get to be the learner on this pod, this uh, this episode. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. So today we're going to be talking about dyed in the wool. So first I'll share the definition. So according to Wiktionary, <laughs> which had the best, very authoritative, very long standing dictionary, um, but it actually had the most thorough definition. So I'm going to share that here. It's firmly established. So dyed in the wool is firmly established in one's beliefs or habits, having a specified characteristic, identity, etc., deeply ingrained in one's nature. So do you have any guesses about what dyed in the wool might mean? Or not what it means, but where it comes from? Well, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with maybe knitting or fabric. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did happen to notice a very lovely cashmere sweater you were wearing earlier this weekend. <laughs> it was just absolutely lovely. Well, and thank um, you. I think one of my ski patrol buddies was actually flirting with you. Uh, that is true. That is all true. Let let the record show that I thrifted that cashmere sweater for three ninety nine. Well, my lady, you <laughs> you you classed it up to at least thirteen ninety nine. At least for sure. Thank you. It was lovely. Is is cashmere wool? Are they in the same family? I, you have asked me a question. I have no idea. Dag nabbit. Well, I think it is not. Wool is from sheep, and I believe cashmere is from another animal that I do not know from whence it came. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like not knowing the some, answers to some questions. Some fabrics come from the ground, like cotton, and I think it's an animal fabric. I'm gonna do you. Okay. I'm gonna totally record. Toad. I can record a segment that explains very eloquently the answer to your question. I don't think that Later. it's relevant to dyed in the wool, but it's not. cashmere is not wool. We know that definitively. But tell me more about dyed in the wool. I'm anxious and I'm excited. So in the process of dyeing fabric, you can either weave the fabric first and then dye it, um, or you can dye the fibers first before they're spun into a yarn. So when you are with your, when you're starting with wool in particular or any kind of fiber, you start with the raw material, and you take it from that raw material and you spin it uh, into yarn. Spinning a yarn. Spinning a are yarn. Are you spinning a yarn right now? <laughs> I am, which might be a future episode. But um, <laughs> you spin it into yarn, and then you you either knit or crochet or weave that yarn into fabric. And so um, dyed in the wool refers to when you dye the actual original fibers, like the wool fibers from the sheep, before you even spin it into yarn. That means that the, the dye is kind of intrinsic to the very fiber of that yarn. 
What's the difference in dyeing it? So is it is it more um, is it more like ingrained into the fabric if you do it beforehand? It is. So it it gets kind of more evenly distributed in the Makes fabric sense. if you dye something in those in the wool. Yeah, in the wool. <laughs> and so you get a more consistent coloring across the fabric, and you get um, you get a more it's going to be less likely to fade or change or shift colors later if you die from the beginning rather than later. And so fidelity so, maybe of the fat. So fidelity. That's a great word. Yes. I love that word. Fidelity. Over time, you know, the fabric is going to re retain that kind of color. And this was important. Well, we'll get into that in a minute, but if something is not dyed in those initial steps, like if you weave or crochet or knit it, first and then dye it. That's referred to as garment dyed. So if you ever ah. see shirts or pants or whatever, a garment of clothing that's called garment dyed, it often has now in stores, it often has like a more almost modeled appearance or you can see like these variations in the dye. So mm -hmm. that was dyed afterward and the dye doesn't kind of stay true. So it's not like a true representative of what it could be. Correct. What about my, so my curiosity in dye is what about tie dyed and how does that, um, because that's kind of more my style, a tie dye. <laughs> sure. Is it now? No, that's not true at all. I'm learning something. That's a yarn. <laughs> You're spinning a yarn. I did, I, I did spin a yarn there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, tell me more. I'm fascinated. Okay. Well, figuratively, though, this refers to someone who similar, you know, similar to the, the literal process of dyeing something in the wool. This refers to someone who's unlikely to change and is most often used when, when referring to someone's either political, religious, or social kind of affiliation, such mm -hmm. as a long-term fan of a particular sports team. So where... Mm -hmm. Where, tell me something that you considered yourself dyed in the wool in. Mm, this is a great question. I think I'm a dyed in the wool Mountaineer fan, of course. Uh, I mean, I love Marshall. I love mm -hmm. the Thund Thundering Herd. But definitely, I would say I'm dyed in the wool uh, golden blue. Mm -hmm. And other than that, dyed in the wool Eric Clapton fan. <laughs> I don't know what else I'm dyed in the wool. I am a dyed-in-the-wool pastry snob. I know that you are. I am. You are. Aficionado is not a, um, it, it does not do justice to the pastry snob that you are. And I, <laughs> I say that with all affectionary. Oh, I see what you did there. That's did great. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your pastry snobbery. I like a lot of butter and I like... I like things to not be too sweet. That pretty much sums up my my pastry well, that's uh, me. preferences. A lot of butter, not too sweet. The first use of dyed in the wool as an idiom dates all the way back to the late 16th century. Now, this isn't super surprising because we have been dying. Um, it was like Tudor, the Tudor monarchy late. Yeah. <laughs> I just got nerdy. You did. I love when you get nerdy. Um, this isn't a surprise. Wool has been used in fabric making since like 10,000 BC. Bad, bad, black sheep, white <laughs> sheep. All the sheep. Yes. Uh, so the process of turning wool fibers into fabric is very time and labor intensive. And the dyes used were often made from these rare plants. And so they were also very expensive. So fabric makers wanted to be sure that, that these dyes were used in a way that would produce consistent coloring and be less prone to fading. 
The oh. alternative to dyeing in the wool, as I mentioned earlier, was garment dyeing. And so it makes sense that that the literal kind of reference of this phrase would have been really old. But it's interesting to me. So English writers wrote about teaching or training young children so that certain ideas or customs would be more likely to become fixed. And interesting, Daniel, interestingly, Daniel Webster was the first person credited mm. to use this in the political sense. I mean, people accredit him with the first English dictionary, but That's he correct. was quite up in the mix of uh, the founding fathers and the revolutionary business and quite a statesman mm -hmm. for his time. Yeah. And so what do you think about this idea that children can be trained early on so that ideas become more fixed? Like what is something you mm -hmm. can kind of, what is something that you carry from your childhood that that is still true today like that you feel like was fixed from early childhood and maybe what's something that's very different from how you were raised mm -hmm. yeah this is an interesting question so so just to make sure i understand we use the term brainwash your kids and you know like for sports analogies mm -hmm. and things like that you know brainwash uh, i think so one of the things that i got from childhood my stepdad was very adamant about doing your own maintenance around your home mm -hmm. In that a you if a real man does his own maintenance, paints mm -hmm. the fence and fixes the cars and you know saws the wood, and, which I love to do. But I think that's something that I did carry forward, and I still struggle with it. And I've had to learn, like, okay, Jeff, you're not super great at all the plumbing things in the world, and it's okay to hire that out. So uh, that that's something. I don't know if I'm hitting what yeah. your, your question, but that's something that I kind of was a. A learned behavior mm -hmm. from uh, what was modeled for me. And, and I, I kind of had to outgrow that a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then I did brainwash my girls <laughs> to be Chicago Bears and Chicago Cubs fans mm -hmm. because that's what you do. You brainwash your kids. Every, every generation has to brainwash their kids to do something, whether it's fix their carburetor on their car like my dad did or brainwash them to be um, huge fans of the lovable losers on the north side of Chicago. <laughs> so you are a dyed in the wool Cubs I am and Bears fan. Dyed in the wool. Sadly, a sad sack. It's a sad, sad sack of wool. Does wool come in sacks? <laughs> I don't know what it comes in, but it is sad. Mm -hmm. The wool of Cubs and Bears. Sack? The sack of Cubs and Bears wool. <laughs> and then what is something that's so that's something that you carry forward and then yeah. what about you? you me? Yeah. You, you do have your life commands, as we used to call it. Is mm -hmm. that, uh, what were your, what were some things that you learned as a child that, that you either kept or struggle with or is died in the wool for you? I think something that was modeled for me at an early age and that I tried to carry forward well is taking care of the people around you, your friends and your family and, and being a good community member that was something that was uh very big in my family and something that I tried to pay forward sounds a little cheesy mm. I got all sentimental here at the, at the end but um yeah that's something yeah. that means a lot and my family is always um, sort of involved in the community in one way or the other whether through sports or community service or even um, kind of uh, 
<laughs> grassroots political activism, thinking back <laughs> to my uh, great-grandmother petitioned the County Board of Education to rename an elementary school. So, uh, fun fact. But, I think um, you've told me that before. What elementary school? Dehue Chambers. Because of the Chambers family. Yeah. Where does the word Dehue come from? Well, the name of the community. Dehue is the community so, and Chambers mm -hmm. was your like distant relatives, correct? Well, that was my great-grandmother's um, maiden, maiden name was Chambers. And Cham was the name of the little community. So, it was like two communities. I mean, coal camps, essentially, yeah. were feeding into this elementary school. I see now where your political bent <laughs> was dyed in the wool. Mm -hmm. That's that's lovely. Mm -hmm. I, I love that about you. You did get a little sentimental there. I think that, I mean, it's we both have lots of things that were probably dyed in the wool for us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we have learned to value fresh ideas mm -hmm. and thinking Mm -hmm. and rethinking and listening to people. And it's always good to have um, new and fresh perspectives on things and not be so dyed in the wool in our real politic that we lose our heart for people. So I love yeah. that about you. Well, thank you. I'm having trouble thinking of, of anything that I did not carry from, you know, like dyed in the wool, like big in my family or community upbringing. I, I carry a lot of affinity from home, yeah. you know, into my adulthood. And so I know there are things that are quite different. Oh, I have a good example. Okay. So growing up, as you know, in Southern West Virginia, mental health and mental health care were not mm. always, it was kind of seen as like you only reached out to a counselor or talked to somebody about things you were struggling with in that way if you were in desperate need, right? It was something that you kind of waited. Despair. Yeah, waited until you were really struggling with. Right. And so it's always, I mean, I, I have a master's in counseling, you fun do. fact, just for kicks. I and married my own personal counselor. I was so messed up. <laughs> Thank goodness. Tall, tall no, order for you. You are yeah, not, but you are you're not right. messed up. But it's, I've always kind of been a little more forthright about my own interest in mental health and how important it is to take good care of your mental health. And I think that's quite a bit different than sort of the culture that we grew up in. And that's, that's been really important to me to kind of uh, shake any stigma that might be associated with that and talk openly about, you know, whenever I have struggled in the past or needed needed some help. And that's something that I continue to think is just very important for all of us mm -hmm. to be open with our physical and mental health are tied together. And it, both are important that we I got too earnest. I'm going to get earnest a lot. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> but um, yeah, earnest, I not think earnest tea, not earnesty bass or earnest, earnest. earnest P. Tea. I'm just realizing that his name was earnest tea. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Andy Griffith's show. Oh, Ernesty. Ernesty. It's a pun. Ah, he was always so super, super honest with <laughs> what was his girlfriend? Or he wanted her to be his girlfriend. Charlene. Charlene, can you see me? It's <laughs> Ernesty. Oh my gosh. But you are right. We but we both share uh, some parallels in mm -hmm. in general or in probably mid to you know, mid to late 20th century was, it was just frowned upon to show mm -hmm. 
any weakness. It was kind of a, you know, I had, my grandmother was institutionalized for a period of six to nine months, I mm -hmm. think in 1961 or two, mm -hmm. when my mother was six years old. And it was kind of one of these things that was hush hush and not supposed to be uh, talked about. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a shame on the family and so misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And so when you sweep things under the rug, I think, and, and don't shine light on it, then it just becomes more of a fear. Mm -hmm. So I, I applaud that, but understanding of mental health and you have know, come to a, hopefully a healthier perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can pass that down to our kids and grandkids, uh, but they will be bears and Cubs fans. So <laughs> that I will continue to dye them in the wool. <laughs> so, you can have any mental they, health issues. And they will ski must and only... they will fish and they will root for the Cubs. And that is it. Other than that, you can be insane as a loony bird. And you better like a chocolate croissant. Daggone it. Daggone. <laughs> well, it's been so much fun talking to you today. It's been a pleasure. I've learned a great deal and um, I can't wait to see you in that cashmere sweater again. <laughs> we'll figure out what it's made from. <laughs>